silver and gold have dominated the conversations here at the Rural Investment Symposium. Yet three separate presenters implored the audience not to forget about copper. Colin Tin managed to get some love and one analyst boldly declared palladium will be the ultimate contrarian play. We heard how the Fed has moved from currency wars to commodity turf battles, the rise of the brick power block and its potential ramifications for the US dollar, plus why political and taxation risk is something investors are increasingly going to have to embrace. My name is Shay Russell and welcome to Cocktails and Commodities, the resource podcast where macro analysis meets mining insights. Don't forget to like this podcast and remember all information in this podcast is general in nature and not to be considered financial advice. Before we start, join me in having an actual cocktail poolside here at the Boca Raton in Florida where the Rural Investment Symposium was held. After four and a half days, that's 55 hours of content, it's time to touch on some of the key topics. Silver has been a hot topic all week, whether it be the investment case for owning the physical metal or its role in the electrification of everything. Several companies have noted that there simply isn't enough silver for future demand and reminded the audience how inelastic the silver price is in bringing more supply to the market. 75% of newly mined silver comes from base metals projects, that is companies mining copper, lead, zinc and even gold. In these polymetallic deposits, silver is a byproduct. So the only thing a rising silver price does is give the miner a higher input credit to offset the cost of production from its primary metals. As discussed in an episode that aired on July 19, there is a deficit of physical silver in the market and this gap doesn't look like it will close anytime soon. Despite this, silver has handed back half of last week's price gains, falling more than one US dollar per ounce to 23.70 US dollars per ounce this week. Silver has largely followed the gold price down on the back of strong US economic data. The American data dump showed that gross domestic product is growing at 2.4% annually in the second quarter, and this was well above expectations. In addition to this, US core inflation data fell, as did initial jobless claims, and the June durable goods order report increased 4.7%, smashing the estimated 1% growth for the period. Moving to the Federal Reserve Bank and the Fed did what everybody expected by raising the Fed funds rates. The Fed has now brought the target rate to the range of 525 to 5.50%, with the midpoint of this being the highest rate in 22 years. From here, Fed Chair Jerome Powell says that each rate hike will be a meeting-by-meeting decision based on the economic data that comes before it. However, the central bank added it's likely there will be two more rate hikes this year, which is at odds with the markets, as the markets are pricing in no additional rate hikes for the rest of 2023. Last week's economic data suggests a recession in the US may be unlikely now, and that America may face a soft landing rather than a hard one. This take, however, is in stark contrast to almost all of the presenters at the Rural Investment Symposium. There was a near unanimous agreement that the US will absolutely have a recession and the only question is how long and how deep. Adrian Day from Adrian Day Asset Management told the audience it's important to remember there is a lag between monetary policy and the outcome, making a US recession far more likely to appear 18 months from now 
as opposed to at the end of this year. Jeff Christensen from CPM Group reminded the room that, of course, the US will have another recession because that's how economies work. Brent crude is back up above 80 US dollars per ounce as worries about the US economy slowing down ease. Copper is still at $3.86 US cents per pound and iron ore has fallen back down to 109 US dollars per ton. Iron ore did rally last week to 118 US dollars per ton after the Chinese government admitted support was required for the economy. However, the heat has started to come out of the iron ore price as many were convinced stimulus from China would favour housing, which is both good for copper and iron ore. Even though China's Politburo meeting has finished, there is still no clear answer on what stimulus looks like. But Monday's announcement this week from China's State Council made it clear the Middle Kingdom is more focused on growing local consumption and tourism, for example, as opposed to big stimulus packages for housing and construction. Shortly after these admissions from the Politburo, Goldman Sachs wrote that hedge funds have become extremely bullish on Chinese shares, with the firms they track buying mainland A shares in a variety of sectors, including consumer discretionary, staples, financials, materials, and industrial sectors. And because I am in Florida, one of the world's key orange-growing provinces, let's take another look at orange juice futures. OJ futures have rallied to a massive 316 US dollars per pound in the week that I have been in the state, an all-time high. As mentioned last week on July 19, Floridian orange crops this season are likely to be the lowest since 1935. While there won't be a global shortage of oranges, as Brazil and Mexico will fill the supply gap, the tiny Floridian orange juice crops are driving up prices for everyone else. By the way, I met an agricultural commodities trader at the Rural Investment Symposium and keep your eyes peeled for that episode as he'll be a special guest in the coming weeks. And before we move on to the closing thoughts on the Rural Investment Symposium, I don't quite know why, but we are going to start following this emerging metal story. Of all surprising news this week, Indium is up 30% for July in spot pricing. Now, like many other illiquid metal markets, we have to take the Indium price jump with a grain of salt. For starters, only 800 tonnes of this metal is mined globally each year. And like many obscure metals, its real price is determined by company-to-company contracts. So what even is Indium? It's the softest alkali metal. It has good ductility, that is the physical properties of a metal that when it's pulled, allow it to stretch rather than break. Indium has a low melting point of 156 degrees Celsius, but a high boiling point of 2027 degrees Celsius. It is of low resistance. In other words, indium allows electrons to flow through easily. It's corrosive resistant and widely used in indium tin oxide, which is an important part of touchscreens flat screen TVs, and solar panels. This is because it conducts electricity easily, bonds to glass, and can become transparent. So what does this price jump mean? Not entirely sure, but we'll be watching this metal. This brings us to the lessons learnt from the Rural Investment Symposium this year. Don't get me wrong, there's been movement in UK gas prices, uranium is on the up, and urea is moving higher but that analysis will have to wait until next week. But we should sum up the key points from Rick's conference this year. In short, it was overwhelmingly a metals conference. 
in past years, you'd walk away from Rick's conference where the case for one commodity was clearly stronger than the other. In 2019, for example, it was copper. In the years before that, it was uranium or even rare earths have won the audience over. This year, however, almost every presenter made a compelling case that there isn't enough known resources of silver, nickel, copper, tin, cobalt, zinc, vanadium, tungsten and lead, just to name a few, in order to meet energy transition goals. In fact, the arguments put forward were that there wasn't enough of these metals to meet the urbanization of Africa, India and China combined, let alone enough to meet the energy transition. Both of these events, by the way, are expected to unfold at the same time over the next 20 years. Perhaps the biggest takeaway from multiple presentations pointing to a shortage of metals in the future is that it created excitement around explorers and painted a very bullish picture. Former Navy man turned geologist turned investment writer Byron King said the fact that there's not enough known resources right now creates an exciting proposition for investors saying we are in the right place at the right time. We are at the start of the resources industry ready to blossom. Byron also told the crowd that while the world has been picked over pretty well, it hasn't been well explored with modern technology, adding that he believes the future is very bright in the resource space, indicating that there was plenty more discoveries to be made with the right kind of investment and that even smaller deposits will become economical with the help of modern exploration. Joining the exploration panel was Joe Mazumda, a geologist and co-editor behind the newsletter Exploration Insights. While Joe was overall positive about the future of exploration stocks, he did warn that changing royalty and taxation regimes was increasingly becoming a threat investors need to be aware of. He noted that jurisdiction risk is unavoidable, especially for companies looking for greenfield discoveries, but that it was something investors needed to be mindful about when they buy stocks. Then we have the big thinkers of the conference, the one who attend each year to put forward what they believe are the big ideas which will drive investment themes for the next 12 months. One of the biggest names to attend Rick's conference each year is my friend Jim Rickards, though most people know him as an economist, investment banker and advisor to various US intelligence agencies. Each year, Jim's keynote speech is highly anticipated and this year didn't disappoint. The looming BRICS Summit, which starts on August 22nd, is attracting a lot of speculation that a new currency will be announced. And depending on some pockets of the web, it's theorised that the new currency will signal the demise of the US dollar. Jim started his speech noting that the BRICS story had caught fire in a way he didn't expect, and there is a lot of hyperbole around the subject. The very short version of Jim's 40-minute speech is the dominance of the US dollar is fading, yes but it's in no danger of being replaced as the global reserve currency anytime soon. Speculating on what may come out of the BRICS meeting, Jim suggests that we are likely to see a trade currency for BRICS members, but not a reserve currency. In other words, there's no new paper currency to keep in your wallet when you travel to one of the BRIC member countries, but rather that the BRIC members will create a streamlined trade payment system that doesn't involve the US dollar. Jim suggested that one brick might be tied to the value of gold based on weight, but stressed to the audience that any brick currency was absolutely not about creating a new gold standard. If you're keen to follow Jim's thoughts on the matter, you'll be able to find his work over in his newsletter, Strategic Intelligence. 
but let's close out today's podcast with some mining insights. Each year at Rick's conference, I look for two key takeaways. One is what is the overall theme from presenters? And two, what is the overall attitude from the audience? This year, there were two key themes from the presenters. As mentioned earlier, almost all of them believe a recession was inevitable, even if the Fed has ruled it out. However, secondly, everyone was bullish on physical gold moving higher. A different tone was struck by the attendees, however. I was the master of ceremonies for several workshops over Rick's conference, and I was surprised how many investors all asked the same question at the end of each presentation. And that was, how likely is this company to be a takeover target? This tells me that many people are investing on the hope of being gobbled up by a bigger company in the short term rather than riding the long-term investing wave. Put another way, they are looking to profit quickly and move on to the next investment. This sentiment, however, is at odds with something that Rick expressed during a panel session. And that is, out of all of the companies that have made him the most amount of money over the years, the stocks he has been invested in for five years or longer have been his most profitable. Furthermore, Rick added that too many investors are looking for quick returns, whereas the key to making big gains in these companies is to stick around as they grow from exploration concept to a developer. Rick then doubled down on this by saying he believes most investors have too many stocks in their portfolio, which prevents them from staying long-term investors, suggesting to the audience that perhaps the best thing an investor could do is actually reduce their portfolio which would allow them more time to read all of the material associated with the company, enabling them to get a better knowledge of the stock that they're invested in. Today's podcast is an extremely brief summary of what was a massive 55 hours of content spread across four and a half days. Over the coming weeks, I'll cover a couple more topics from the Rural Investment Symposium in more detail. We'll dive into one of those topics next week, starting with silver. Longtime silver advocate Andy Sheckman and I managed to sneak in a podcast recording during the conference. Make sure you join me next Tuesday when Andy and I cover the depleting above ground stocks of silver, how the recent banking crisis drove people to precious metals and the persistent silver deficit. That's all for today's episode of Cocktails and Commodities. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an update on what rocks are making news, which commodities are moving markets and the company's trying to get it out of the ground. <laughs>